Can anything good come from pain, addiction, disease, or darkness that resides within? Can we be transformed? Can we find new hope for what we think is hopeless? What would happen if we were awakened to an idea that begins the work of restoration? What if that idea began to mend us? This idea begins to transform our pain and hurt into something useful, something beautiful. It can be done. Our lives can be reclaimed. Hi, friends. Good to see everybody. Can we just give a, like a spirited welcome to everyone who's listening at all the other campuses? Just to say good morning or welcome to Abingdon Campus. Bel Air Campus, Edgewood Campus, Mountain Road, online friends, glad you're with us. Hey, before we jump into the message, I want to tell you about a new ministry that we're starting at Mountain. I'm really excited about it. It's called the Dream Team, and everyone can participate if you want to. You, you know that our vision at Mountain is called Dare to Dream, right? It's about dreaming about what God's going to do through us, and it includes stretching, strengthening, and spreading, right? So stretching our faith to reach more people than ever, and spreading, um, uh, strengthening to uh, strengthen the, our church body as we move more to the core of who Jesus is. And then spreading to reach thousands by the year 2024. And the dream team is for anyone who wants to participate who's particularly interested in growing in the area of their generosity. Or if you're interested in learning about strategic ways to leverage your giving for maximum ways to fulfill the vision of Mountain. If that sounds exciting to you, some of you are like, that doesn't sound exciting to me at all. No problem. But if it sounds exciting to you to leverage your giving in a way to accelerate uh, and to learn about some special opportunities ahead of time and that kind of thing, I just want to invite you to a special kickoff breakfast, June 1. Um, and if you just want to come and learn about it, that's great. June 1 at the Abingdon Campus, 9 a.m. But I need to know if you're coming. I got some gifts for you and some stuff, materials to prepare and food to get ready. So dreamteam at mountaincc.org. If you want in on that, let us know. Dreamteam at mountaincc.org. Love to have you if that sounds cool to you. If not, don't worry about it. Hey, the Bible says um, give honor where honor is due, right? And one of the Ten Commandments is honor your what? father and mother, right? So would it be okay with you if I took a moment to honor some of the mothers that I know best? That'd be okay? This is a picture of Dot Kacharis. That's my mom. That's my mom. I'm the handsome devil on her lap. Obviously her favorite, wouldn't you say, by the way she's holding me there? My mom, my mom is, is a nurturer, a teacher. She's an artist. She's playful. She's creative. She's fun. She's funny. She's an Iowa girl who uh, taught us to love God and love one another, and she's 91 now and still doing what she's always done, and I love her so much, and I'm so grateful to God for her. I owe so much to my mom. Happy Mother's Day to Dot Kacharis. And then I, I want to show you also my wife's mother, Helen Helen is someone I've known for 30 years or more, and she's another Iowa girl. And she is a steady, faithful, um, loyal servant she, of, her, of her husband while he was alive and of God and of her church. And I know she's a great mom because I reap the benefits of that every day because I'm married to one of her daughters. And I wish I could just insert a mother-in-law joke here, but I can't even do it. She's that awesome. <laughs> happy Mother's Day to Helen and Happy Mother's Day to Carla my wife, another Iowa girl. And both of my grandmothers are from Iowa. Just note to the wise, you single guys. You need to go get one of those corn-fed women. 
Carla has given herself in countless ways by loaning her body to our kids while they were inside of her and through the tough deliveries and then just sacrificing sleep and spare time and personal uh, freedom and career uh, for the kids and me and all the stuff that goes with being a mom, cleaning and cooking and driving and giving advice. And she's been the glue to our family and the key to any success any of us have had. And like every good mom, she has done more for her children and for me and frankly for this church than anyone will ever fully realize. So happy Mother's Day to Carla. Um, a lot of moms never get to hear that, let alone publicly, and I thought we should just change that today. You know, we should just change that today, because there's a lot of good moms who've done a lot of good things who will never have anyone at home or in their life or their world just tell them, thank you, good job. And uh, so in a moment, I'm going to have a stand, and with gusto, we're just going to read a verse out of the Bible, uh, Proverbs 31, to honor some moms. I know as soon as we do that, some of us are like struggling, like, yeah, I didn't have a good mom, or my mom was not good, or that's okay. There's plenty of good moms that we're going to honor today that need to hear from us. And if you're a single mom, there's a verse we're going to put up there that talks about husbands praising you. Listen, you may say, that doesn't apply to me. Well, you know what? It does. God's thought of this because we're a family here and we're going to rise up and we're going to call you blessed today and also we're the bride of Christ and that means you do have a husband his name is Jesus and he's proud of you so everybody on your feet like it's the academy awards we're going to read it with gusto this is a sort of moment to honor moms just one verse are you ready everybody here we go like you mean it her children rise up and honor her her husband does also and he praises her saying Many daughters have done well, but you have done better than all of them. Give it up for moms, because they're awesome. Moms are awesome. Okay, grab a seat. Okay, but let's be honest, they're not perfect. Let's not turn this into a Hallmark commercial. Let's bring it down a notch, okay? Because we're talking about being reclaimed, right? And reclaimed is all about stuff that is fit for the dumpster, right? This is the rage today. You go grab old stuff, wood or whatever, and you make it, you refashion it and turn it into something useful. And this is what God does best. The parts and pieces and places of our lives that we just think are embarrassing or no good or broken down. God is so good at when, you, when he gets his hands on that stuff, turning it into something so useful and beautiful and good again. And so this dumpster diver God is able to do this with so many parts of our lives. So we started by talking about how God can reclaim our pain. If you haven't listened to that message, you got to go back and grab it. We talked about how God can reclaim our crummy church background or experiences with toxic Christianity, some kind of bad faith experience. We're going to talk about how he can take... Um, mental health issues like anxiety and depression and what, how God is at work in those things, and even abuse. And then we'll end with, a, with talking about rec- just a reclaimed life. And by the way, on that weekend, which is June 1, 2, and 3, we're going to talk about, um, we're, we're going to have a baptism splash, which means that every campus will have a pool with warm water and an opportunity to say, you know, Maybe you need to be saying, God, just wash me clean. I want to start over and have my life reclaimed. And I'm going to mark that through my surrender to you in Christian baptism. And anyone can do that. I want to plant that seed right now as you think, where am I with God? And is it time for me to make a new start in Christian baptism? That's coming up June 1, 2, and 3. Today, we want to talk about reclaimed families. Reclaimed families. 
Because every one of us knows what it's like to have some garbage in our families and to have some dysfunction in our families. Everybody does. With, with pains and broken parts. We have a saying around here, no perfect people allowed. Right? If you're perfect, just get on out of here. You don't fit. We might as well just say no perfect families. Because can I let you in on a dirty little secret? Want to hear a dirty little secret? Yeah, of course we all love dirty little secrets. Steal a glance at the person next to you. Don't make it obvious, but just kind of... You see them? See them? Their family is filled with sinners. <laughs> Not even kidding. Because that's the way it works. Because families are like imperfect people that are like now put into a stew. And like it's beautiful and it's also hard. And because of the imperfect people thing. I, there was a woman that I met recently at Mountain. They're new here. And I uh, had a nice conversation. And she emailed me the following week. She said, you know, I was the woman you talked to. So you probably thought we're a beautiful family. And they were. And she says, but you know what? We're, we're a broken family. We're a hurting family. And she proceeded to maybe tell a little bit about some of the the problems that they're facing right now. And I thought, well, that's all of us. So there's people that you're stealing glances at around you also know what it's like. There are marriages that are struggling or on the rocks or romance is dead. There are divorces. There are affairs. There are broken hearts. There are kids that aren't turning out right. There, there is separation. There's blended families with strains. There's financial challenges. There's health challenges. There's drugs. There's danger. There's death. There's grudges and estrangements. There's, there's sinister sisters. There's, there's, there's bullying brothers. There's crazy aunts. And there's abusive uncles. And we got it all. Can we just get it out of the way right at the beginning that we're all just a bunch of dysfunctional dorks and we all come from these families? Can we just get that straight at the beginning? Because if we can't, then there's no good news I have for you today. If you're pretending that your Instagram look is exactly the way it is, because that's just not true. And you have no good news that you need. It's interesting to me that in the Bible, there's so many examples of families. And at first you might think, well, that's nice, because we can go to the Bible maybe and find an example of how we can live our lives as a family. But you know what? When I look through and I look at the families in the Bible, I can't find a single one that's a really good example from start to finish. Not even one in the Bible. But the cool thing is this, is that God works in broken families because that's the only kind there are. And He heals and He blesses and He also reclaims for all kinds of good things. So, so this is a day for hope as you think about your family, as you think about your place in it, whether it's something you did or something that is just the way it is in your family. Or something from a long time ago or something that's going on right now. We serve a God who's in it and on it. And wants to work through it to reclaim it for his purposes and your good. When, 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 you, when you look through the list of famous people in the Bible. Uh, um, sometimes you, 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 we're familiar with that word saints. You know that word saint? When we hear the word saint, a lot of us think of, well, that's someone who's kind of like spiritual superstar, right? Like a few notches above. If you're really a holy or a really good person, you might get a statue named, you know, or, or something named after you, right? That's a saint. Well, that's not exactly, that's not at all the way the Bible uses the word saint. The word saint is simply just meaning that it's, it's anyone that Jesus has called that said yes to Jesus and he gives some of his holiness to us and through us, which, which I think is so interesting. All Christians are saints if you're a believer of Jesus, that's really, that's really cool. So there's no surprise then. I thought it was interesting. You just rearrange the, letter, the letters that spell saint and, and it spells the word stain. Isn't that interesting? Because there's no such thing as a saint without a stain. 
and a family that has stains has family pains. And if you've got a lot of those family pains and stains right now, then the good news for you is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see stains, he sees saints that he can use then and work through and utilize for his holy purposes. It's amazing. It's remarkable. I could tell you about so many even in the Bible. So let's take, for example, Abraham, right? The father of our faith, like the, the guy on the Mount Rushmore of, the, of, of our whole faith, Abraham. You say, well, there's a saint, there's a good guy. But you see, when you look closer, it's not just saint, it's stained. They had all kinds of issues and challenges in their family. So, for example, he and his wife, Sarah, they couldn't have children. Infertility is an odd thing maybe to raise on Mother's Day, but it's an issue that needs to be talked more about. And that was one of the awkward, difficult things that was going on in their life. She got very old and realized, I'm never going to have a baby. And she felt worthless, and she felt like God had abandoned her and ashamed, and a whole lot of people can relate to some of that. And Mother's Day is a really hard day for people like that. And if you're here or listening, I'm so grateful that you are. Because maybe you're one of those people that know what it's like just to dream that that little stick will have the plus sign on it one of these times. Or maybe you've lost a lot of kids through miscarriage. Or you had one of your children die. And that pain affects so many couples. And we just need to be extra sensitive, don't we, y'all? And aware and be careful about our cautious our careless kind of remarks you know when you're gonna have a baby they need support and it's difficult process to go through and if that's where you are i want to encourage you if that's where you're experiencing in your family that god the reclaiming god doesn't waste any pieces or parts and he won't waste that he'll use that in your life if you allow him you surrender it to him he might use this time in your life to lead you to adoption as many have done he might lead this time in your life to to sort of lead you to a ministry to other children that will expand your heart in beautiful ways or you might be one of those heroic foster parents that picks up kids that are otherwise slipping through the cracks or he might lead you in this time to into some ministry that has nothing to do with kids some other avenue or or deepen you in some way that never would have happened had you had a kid when you really wanted to or maybe like Sarah and Abraham you'll eventually in a surprising fashion have a child I don't know but he won't waste it infertility is one of the challenges that we could just note from this perfect family in the Bible another thing that they experienced was insecurity boy and a lot of us experience that as well don't we One of the reasons they had insecurity was God came to Abraham and said, hey, look, I want you to pick up and move. Leave everything you know and love to a far-off land. I'll tell you where we're going when you get there. Can you imagine him coming home with that message? Honey, I heard from God. Oh, good. I think. We're moving. Hawaii? Where are we going? I don't know. We'll just camp out a while and see what God says. Sounds like an adventure to some of the guys. Not so much. It's an insecure feeling for a lot of the gals. And this is something that a lot of us can relate to if you've experienced cutbacks or downsizing or an abrupt move or a deployment or unemployment and the insecurity of housing and money is something that a lot of us live with and it's the way it was in the Bible as well. This inability to conceive was crushing Sarah and things eventually got awkward. She had a servant, an Egyptian servant named Hagar. I wouldn't recommend naming your daughter that. I mean, if you did, it's fine, it's lovely, but 
Hagar, you can do better. Here we go. But anyway, she says, I've got this, I've got this, this daughter, this servant named Hagar. I'm so depressed that we haven't had a child yet. Why don't you just go sleep with her and maybe God will give a child through her. And Abraham agreed to it. Guys, 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 listen. <laughs> when your wife says, does this make me look fat? What is the correct answer? No. Hey, I know it's Mother's Day. Please go play. It's okay if you play golf with the guys. What's the correct answer? No. Hey, we haven't had a baby yet. Maybe you should sleep with my servant. What's the correct answer? No. This is a family that didn't always understand. And you have... He, he, he gets her pregnant, and it, and it leads to a baby named Ishmael. And so now they're just one little happy family, just Abraham and Sarah and this stepchild and his mistress. And some of us understand when another person's involved or there's, a, there's some awkwardness in the home or there's some kind of hurt feelings or resentment. There's insecurity, and a lot of these families know. Another thing they dealt with was just being old. They got older and older and older. And some of us feel like that, like, you know what? I don't know if my family or my life can still be reclaimed because it's, it's too late for me. I missed my window. That ship has sailed. And that's what they dealt with. But miraculously, when... She was 90, and he was older than that. The Bible says in Genesis 21 that she, in fact, by God's gracious gift, became pregnant. And she gave birth to a son, she and Abraham, and named him Isaac. And Isaac is a name that in the Hebrew language means laughter, which makes sense because this is hilarious when you think about it. I mean, for crying out loud, 90 years old with a baby? I mean, good grief. Did they have it in the birthing suite or the geriatric ward? I mean, you don't, I mean it's like... Yeah, yes, I'll take a stroller because I need it as a walker. I mean, it's like, this is crazy. Go to the store, you know, pick up some pampers and grab the pens while you're there. It's like, this is, this is no wonder they named him Laughter. It's funny when you think about it. It's like nursing is no problem because we're up in the middle of the night going to the bathroom anyway. So, right, grab some baby food because nobody in the house has teeth. So we're just going to all eat it together. You see, it's funny, except when you really look at it, it's not just funny, it's a little complicated because now you've got this sort of weird blended family and some of us understand the tensions that can be there. Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac. It's like Hagar, where does everyone... And finally, she can't take anymore. She, she demands that they go and she says to Abraham, you've got to kick him out of the house. And off they go and the tension lasted and Ishmael's family becomes the Arab race. And Isaac's descendants turn into the Jewish race and that kind of insecurity and frustration and friction and faction in that particular blended family led to trouble that has lasted for thousands of years and is still going on. Both descendants of Abraham. And you think your family has problems. And it's all the way through the Old Testament, it's the same way. Adam and Eve, right away, first couple in the world. They'll, they don't get along, they disobey God, fighting at each other, lying to each other. The kids grow up and one kills the other. Well, we're off to a great start. That's only the first page of the Bible. And it's that way all the way through. I could tell you so many more stories. And you start looking down, even, even Isaac you know, uh, and Rebekah, they have these two sons, Jacob and Esau, and, and their families filled with manipulation and lies and cheating and favoritism and deceit. If you've ever thought to yourself, you know, I can't even spell families without the word lies. Well, you're not alone. 
And what's really surprising to many of us is you go through the whole Old Testament looking at all those stories and you come up to the New Testament, you think, well, maybe now we'll get some fresh air. Well, you turn to the very first word of the gospel of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and it's, it's Matthew introducing us to Jesus' family. Same thing. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Meet the family, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He wants to show us that Jesus is legitimately a descendant of Abraham and part of the family of David. But as he begins to take us on a little tour of the family tree, we start realizing some crazy people perched in his branches. It's like that scene from Meet the Parents or Meet the Fockers. You know, the more you learn about this family, it's like, these people got issues. And that's exactly how it is with Jesus' family. I mean, some of them aren't even purebred Jews, and some of them are women which didn't fit in the genealogy. Canaanites, they hated those Canaanites. I mean, look at chapter, it's like a reality TV show. It's like they don't hide anything. Here it is, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Mention Tamar, are you kidding me? Don't bring her up. Oh my goodness, she's not even a Jew, she's a Canaanite, she's the original desperate housewife. Her two of her husbands had died, no one wanted to touch her, so Judah tried to just get rid of her and send her back and, and put her out of, out of the way and forget about her. Well, she wasn't having it. So she dresses up like a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law, Judah, into sleeping with her because she knew that old scoundrel went down to the same corner and hook, hooked up with hookers every, every weekend, and so she, she fools him into it. It's an act of incest. That's embarrassing. It's a blemish on the family. Judah gets her pregnant, and he didn't have enough money to pay, so he leaves a personal item with her for collateral. She comes back later and says, does this look familiar? And the whole thing blows wide open. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if historians discovered that her last name's Kardashian. I mean, seriously, this is like, this is Jesus' family. This is Jesus' family. One thing that can make our families messy is unwise choices and immoral activity. And maybe some of us can just say, I, that's true in our family. Maybe there's been some broken commitments. Or some deception somewhere along the line. Or some sexual sin. Or someone leaving somebody without provision. Same in Jesus' family. Look at verse 5. It says there's Salmon, this guy Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Don't, don't mention Rahab. It's like bringing up all the dirt in the family. Like you don't, when you're talking at the family, you don't have to bring up cousin Louis who spent time in the penitentiary or that other guy who you know, gambled everything away or the person who's in the child sex offender registry. Don't mention them. But here they are. Rahab, she didn't dress as a prostitute. She was a prostitute. There she is in the family picture. And then he mentions Ruth. She's from Moab. She's not even a Jew. She's not even a... So, so, the whole, so much for the pure family bloodline. And she was from a different race that was considered an incestuous product. And she had a different skin tone and hair color and texture. And it's like, some of you are like, I can relate. And that's our family. That's Jesus' family too. And verse 6 says, you've got Jesse, the father of King David, right? Good old Bible hero, King David. Saint David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Ooh, Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. Remember her, the original indecent proposal? I think I'll take a shower on the roof. And David abused his power, compromised his integrity, and had relations with her. And then he 
killed her husband and tried to cover it all up. And if you've ever had that stuff, like a premature pregnancy or an illicit affair or a nasty divorce or a remarriage that's awkward or a cover-up in your family, so did Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Jesus' own family isn't filled with a bunch of saints. It's filled with a bunch of stains that God then reworks through the, the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob right down to David into Jesus, the only perfect person ever to have lived, comes out of a family like this with pains and skeletons. And look what God did with it. He reclaimed it. And he gave us Jesus, the Savior of the world, who invites all of us into a family where we can be reclaimed as well. And if God can do that through that family, he can do it through yours and do it through mine with a heavenly Father and Christ our brother and the Spirit working in all of us to make us a new family. You know what Hebrews 1.5 says, God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt you and me, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And when he does that, it begins to reclaim your family and it also makes us part of the one family of God through whom God is reclaiming the entire world. It's an awesome plan. And that needs to start with you. I mean, if we're, gonna, if we're going to have our families reclaimed, you can't control what anyone else does in your family. But it needs to start with you because your family needs you to bring the, the presence and the attitude and the perspective of God to your family. And that only happens when you surrender your family and your life to the Lord. Give him the pieces and the pains and the stains of your family, whatever it might be, into the hands of God as an act of faith and see what he might do. Let me walk you through a couple of verses in Ephesians to help show what that looks like. Because the Bible talks about how we can, can sort of move from the path we're on to a new path and surrender our, our lives and our families. So if you look at verses... Uh, Ephesians 4.18, for example, it talks about maybe a place where some of you are now, or maybe you feel like someone in your family is. It says that sometimes minds are dark, and we've wandered far from the life that God gives us. Maybe, you, maybe that describes you. Have you wandered far from the life that God wants to give? Because maybe someone in your family has a closed mind or a hard heart. And, and it says that if you admit that, that you can reline your life up with Jesus. You can come back and get on a whole new path as you surrender your life and family to God. And when you do that, a whole new life and family is possible. That's what verses 22 and 24 are about. It says there's a former way of life that you can throw off like an old set of clothes and put on a new self created by God, a new family, a new you. And it's marked in verse, 24, verse 23 by a new attitude. Some of us need a new attitude about our family, a new attitude to believe what God might do in you first and then through your family. You say, well, Ben, I don't have a good family. I don't, I don't have any good examples. I don't know how to do this. I didn't have a parent. My, my parents split up. I didn't have a mom. I didn't have a dad. I got bad examples all the way around me. You have no idea. And it's like, you know what? I understand, but you can break that chain. You can start a new path. You can go in a new direction. You can take off those clothes and put on the new clothes and have a new way of doing it. You say, I don't have anyone to imitate. Ephesians 5, the next verse says, be imitators of God. He's your father. He's made you his child. He's the one you look up to because Christ loves you. 
you, gave himself up for you, and brought you into the family so you can just look to God as your father and your example and be an imitator of him. And that's the best thing any of us can do for our families. Be an imitator of God. You know, as these verses continue on here, it talks about so many things that you can do that either break down your family or build up your family. And in every family, there's, we're all kind of every day choosing one of those actions. We're either busting your family down or you're building it up. If you want to have your family reclaimed, you want to surrender it to the Lord, you've got you to be on the side of working, letting, letting God use you to help build your family up. Like a kid who's you know, building something out of blocks. One kid builds up a little house. The next kid comes along and goes, Ksh! Well, which are you doing for your family? You know, look at verse 25. It lists, it lists about three things here that, that all of us could do that actually break down families. And the first one is, it says, put off falsehood. Lying breaks families down when we're not honest with each other, whether we're hiding finances or not transparent or being dishonest about what we're up to, who we're with, and when we'll be home, and all this stuff. Communication that's dishonest in families, it, it, it breaks families down. It's hard to get reclaimed that way. Verse 26 talks about anger. Anger that's out of control. We're all going to get angry, but when anger is, is allowed to be out of control and sort of can dominate, he says, don't let the sun go down on you when you're angry. In fact, don't get, it'll give the devil a foothold. If Satan knocked at your front door, you wouldn't open the door and say, come on in and wreak havoc in our family. But when we let anger go uncontrolled and unaddressed in immature ways, it's exactly what we're doing. We're inviting Satan right into the living room. It also says in verse 29 and 31, harsh, mean, abusive, bitter language will tear down a family, and we all know this. So dishonesty, anger, harsh talk. Let me ask you, are you adding to the burdens that break down your family? You want to surrender that back to the Lord and then be on the side of not breaking down but building up a family. Look at verse 29. It says, don't do that stuff. Instead, do what's helpful for building up others according to their needs that may benefit them. Sometimes we want to, well, I want to build up my family, but it's really about what benefits me or according to my needs. And this is saying according to their needs, what benefits others. That's how you build up your family, even the way you speak to each other because words in their family are internalized. We hear those words, whether they're mean or ugly or critical or unkind, and we internalize them. We think that's who I am over time. But it happens in the other way, too. When you use words of love and you build up, those words become internalized as well. Let me ask you, how can you do a better job of building up your family? How can you do a better job of building up your family? It all starts as we we say, I've wandered off. I want to come home and I want to surrender my life and therefore my family to the Lord by the ways that I interact. I want to show you what that looks like in real life. There was a woman long time ago, single mom, bartender, did her best to raise her daughter. That daughter grew up to become an alcoholic and had a daughter of her own named Lisa who grew up and had a child when she was in high school. She met a guy named Tony who also had a child in high school. This is some of their story. My name's Tony. This is my wife, Lisa. 
We have three kids together. Cameron is 15, Mariah is 14, and Nicholas is nine. Growing up, uh, God was present in our home as far as um, prayer. My mom taught me to pray at a young age. But no, we weren't churchgoers. Um, again, like I said, just having a relationship with God through prayer. My, um, both my parents were recovered drug addict and alcoholics. So even though there was no substance abuse within the home, they may have carried some of those tendencies. So we kind of grew up on a 12-step program. I grew up here in Hufford County, um, one of four kids. As far as our, our faith growing up, that really didn't exist. In high school, we both had children separately. Um, after high school, we got together. And so it didn't take long for us to move out. We moved out together after about a year, and we had our first place. We were 20 at the time. Well, a year after we moved into our first place, we bought a house, um, so we got our second place, and that was super exciting. Um, we worked hard to, you know, put new floors in and do whatever we could to make a home, and the pressures got bigger. You know, we even decided to have a baby um, together. We were excited to share a home and, and have a new baby, and um, in that, through pregnancy, um, you know, things were hard. Pregnancy is not easy, um, and it wasn't easy on Tony, even though it was planned. It just, it wasn't easy on Tony, and um, so with the excitement also came more pressure and um, more need for an escape almost. Um, so yeah, I felt a lot of um, suppression and a lot of um, trouble. We had, a, we had a lot of long nights. We had a lot of um, big fights. Um, I lost myself in that time. I was feeling very controlled. I was afraid. I would tiptoe around everything, hoping it would meet the mark, and we fought over everything. Uh, it, it was really bad like you know when we fought we didn't fight like typical husband and wives fight uh, you know, broken lamps holes in walls doors kicked down I was I was pretty controlling very angry I understood that it was unhealthy for my kids to see and I don't think there's a name I haven't been called <laughs> I don't think there's a thing in our house that hasn't been replaced or repaired yet um, we will find ourselves seeking God um, so I remember in particular one day I went by myself. The kids didn't come with me. Tony didn't come with me. Um, and I came home soaking wet. I decided to give my life to Jesus. Um, <laughs> and the homecoming wasn't one that you would typically think. It wasn't a wide open arms. It was more of a like, what are you doing? <laughs> and to me, I'm like, what is that? What is that? That's weird. Like, who does that? Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I ever did, but it was also the hardest thing at that time for our relationship. Because the closer I got with Jesus, the harder it was for me to accept the life I was sitting in beforehand. So I picked up the kids and, and I had to go. Um, and I left everything that I had worked for, you know, our home. And I remember Tony calling me, what's for dinner? It's <laughs> like, I don't know, but I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> and he was like, I'm sorry, come again. <laughs> so once Lisa left, um, I thought it would be a great time. I called my sister, she moved in with me, and I just thought it was gonna be a big old party, but uh, you know, it, it just, it wasn't. It wasn't what I expected it to be. I felt lost, lonely, I didn't have my kids. Uh, Lisa wasn't there, I was, I was depressed, really. One day I decided, let me, let me try this church thing, let me try this Jesus thing. I mean, I'm out of options. What's it, what can it hurt me now? Yeah, I was coming to church and 
I guess, starting a relationship with Jesus, and I, I began to change. Um, I guess little by little, uh, I was drawn to, to baptism. The day of baptism was here. Uh, I finally decided to do it, and my wife was, or Lisa was there. She wasn't my wife at the time, but Pastor Ben walks over, and you know, he patted me on the back and asked me if I had any questions. I didn't, and uh, he asked me if I had anything I wanted to say, and I, I just, I told him it was time to drown this man. I was baptized, and I believe I came up a new man, or a different man anyways, that's for sure. So I always say that Tony is my Saul de Paul. I saw him completely transform. From the moment he um, was baptized, I noticed a tenderness and a kindness that I had never experienced. Um, I honestly believe I feel Christ's love from Tony from that moment on. Um, he was more patient and he was more kind. He gave me time to voice my own opinion. He um, began to show interest in things that interested me. It wasn't all about Tony anymore. <laughs> So when I decided to come home, it would be under conditions. <laughs> we were going to get married, we were going to pray, and we were going to do life together as Christians. Um, and so those things happened. You know, last thing everybody in the family knew that we were separated, and next thing you know, there's wedding invites going out. <laughs> I can't imagine living life like I did. Like, I, you know, it's, I, didn't, I haven't forgotten it, but it's, it just seems so distant to me. Like, I, I, you know, the feelings of jealousy and anger and rage, I mean, it's all gone. It, it really is. I mean, I, I still get upset, but it's nothing like it was. Like, I, I was a controlling person, and today I'm reclaimed. I don't, I don't have that. That's, that's non-existent today. So I feel like it's hard to even sit here and look back at the past because things feel so new. It's literally like a different life. God has restored and healed so many parts of us and our, and our family and our faith. People have seen us take bold moves for Christ, and I do believe that it's played a role um, watching them watch us dig down in our faith and grow together. Um, the sister that moved in to help when he moved out and her husband were baptized. Both of our kids have been baptized. My sister my brother, my sister-in-law, and my dad. They've all given their life to Christ. And he even baptized a man in the Indian Ocean when he was in Kenya. I believe it's like my greatest hope in this world is that my kids grow up to know the love of Jesus. Uh, I mean, that's like my number one goal. God did this for our family. We didn't do it. Um, and even today, we're, we're far from perfect people. We have our beefs and we're just normal people living a regular life. And <laughs> we're just trying to make it like everybody else. Yeah. We even asked the kids, we even said like, how would you feel if we shared our story, you know, at church? And they were like, well, what are you gonna say? And I'm like, <laughs> pretty much that we just flat out suck. And the only reason we're good or the only reason there's any goodness flowing from us is because of the love of God. <laughs> and the kids were like, Okay, that's honest. <laughs> that's what it looks like when a life and then another life and eventually a family is surrendered to the Lord and He begins to do His reclaiming work. And this church is filled 
with people who know that story and have experienced it and are experiencing it still. And I so long for every one of us to have that renewing work in God's time and in God's way happen in our own hearts and lives. And it begins with surrendering our families and our, our lives. For some of that, we need help sometimes. And that's one of the reasons I just want to let you know. We have lots of opportunities for help around here. We've got these support groups and care groups um, for everything from sexual addiction, to marriage mentoring, um, divorce care, so many other opportunities like that. Or maybe you just need to surrender yourself and maybe that baptism splash coming up is a day for you uh, to drown the old man or old woman. Whatever the case, I'm so grateful for the Lord Jesus and his ability to come among us and reclaim us, aren't you? Let's pray. God, we thank you that when you see us, you don't see the stains, but you see saints that you can use and reclaim for your purposes on this planet. We surrender our lives and our families to you. Help us to be your assistance in that by building them up instead of breaking them down. We pray this in the strong